In fact, just it just happened yesterday. My son, he's going to kill me once he hears this. <laughs> but, but he's 10 years old and he comes to me and he goes, Dad, I think I'm going through puberty. And I was like, oh, really? Why, why do you think that? And he goes, well, I'm having a lot of the same urges uh, you have. You know, and he goes, uh, <laughs> I was like, where's this going? You know, and he goes, uh, like, I, I'm re- I really like peanut butter and chocolate now. You know, do you like caramel? <laughs> like, I'm like, yep. Wow, you're you're going through puberty, all right. That's <laughs> helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers, and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with a really serious consultant known to have a comedy problem, who is transforming Fortune 500 companies and bringing fun and laughter to the corporate world. Our guest has a serious side as well, completing a BS in accounting and an MBA in business administration from the University of Utah's David Eccles School of Business. His illustrious career includes consulting and director roles at Accenture, Deloitte, JDSU, Symantec, Jupiter Networks, Bowtree and Verity Consulting. He co-founded Stratus Partner before founding his latest entrepreneurial visions, Venture West Consulting and Comediology. I'm honored and privileged to introduce to you a comedian who tries not to fall over, may have painted the Golden Gate Bridge with a toothbrush, and is adamant that he won't leave us short change on the show today, Chris Tabish. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. It's great to be here, and I really appreciate the... Uh... <laughs> Brilliant intro. And, uh, and by the way, it's Tabish. It's like the car. But Australian Tabish. I think we can go with that. I like, I like the Australian uh, inflection on that. Uh, we, like to, we like to change it up a little every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, were you the happy child that was the center of attention or that quiet child that sat in the corner and kept to yourself while you were growing up? Uh, boy, I was the... Uh... I, I was the dysfunctional child that well, tried to make noises and 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 uh, and then realized that you know um, maybe the teacher didn't appreciate me uh, you know talking about my um, my glory days in in front of a math lesson. But uh, no, I always I always wanted to get out there and connect with people. That was my desire. I didn't always know how to do that, and so. I find that uh, being older and realizing that you can be goofy and fun and people actually appreciate connecting that if it's the you know right time and place. But uh, yeah, I always love to connect with people. So where did you grow up and, and what filled your daydreams? Uh, well, I grew up in, in Salt Lake City, Utah. We actually, you know, this is an interesting statistic. I, we actually moved, I went, I moved, I lived in more houses than I, I did have in years of school. So I think I we lived in 14 places. Wow. So I got uh, really good at um, <laughs> at one being dysfunctional, now, but two, <laughs> uh, you know, like going to a new place and acclimating and figure out what it what it means to connect with people quickly, uh, like you kind of have to do on uh, business or a comedy stage. So, so was that moving around Utah or was that around America or was it overseas? Tell me more. Uh, yeah, it was in it was in uh, just Salt Lake City, Utah itself. But um, for anybody who grows up in Utah, you know we're American, Craig. Let's be real. So that for me was you know like uh, around the world and probably to a couple of planets. But within in <laughs> <laughs> the framework of Utah was probably like you know twenty miles. So um, yeah, you, you, your horizons expand as you as you become un-American and grow out of Utah. <laughs> so, so you talk about being dysfunctional, a little bit disrupting. You know, did you have a side gig where you were like, you know, getting a bit of pocket money while at school or did that entrepreneurial instinct come later on in life? You know, I, there was always, uh, always on my mind of trying to invent something and 
Yeah, and and make you know, and and get rewarded for it. I won't necessarily monetarily, but you know, like, um, hey, I I just duct tape um, an orange to the you know <laughs> the back of my desk. Look at that, it's a it's an orange desk. Can I get can I get paid for this? <laughs> so, I. I always had a, always had a muscle to do that, and always wanting to explore creativity and 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 get and connect with people through that. I think that was a medium to connect more than it was about you know, hey, taking my orange desk public and making a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where did you find kind of the the passion to go from creativity to studying accounting and then an MBA at the University of Utah? Uh, yeah, very insightful question. So you can imagine uh, we moving around so much. It wasn't as uh, because we were uh, wealthy and financially independent. Let me put it that way. We we were struggling. I was a really financially struggling childhood, uh, and so kind of two things happened. One, I loved connecting with people. I loved comedy. On the other hand, I did not want to go through that when I grew up. I did not want to move every six months because we couldn't pay the power bill. Just, you know, as, as a goal, as a general goal. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, you know, somebody told me that accounting is always safe. You could always have a job in accounting. And so that's the route that I took. I went accounting, I got my CPA, uh, and then sort of stuffed the rest of it. You know, didn't didn't pursue comedy. I mean, wow, that's that's risky, right? I mean, can you get paid being a comedian? There's a lot of competition, and it wasn't. And so, yeah, so that's I kind of I, I kind of went accounting because it was safe because I could make money and uh, put everything else on the back burner at that point in time. So you got your first big break at Accenture. You know, what were those early years like working at places like Accenture and Deloitte? Well, I actually, uh, so, so that is, uh, I, when I worked at Accenture, it was actually a little bit away from the accounting side. I realized accounting wasn't the mix for me, but I could take those skills and I could get into technology, financial systems and implementing for fortune 500 companies. I, and I actually really enjoyed Accenture and Deloitte. It was, it really boosted my career, really helped my enhance my skill set. Uh, it, it's, it's, but it takes a lot out of you. It's very, it's a very taxing endeavor. It's not something for the lighthearted, for the part-time work. Um, I, I met a lot of great people, had a lot of great clients, um, and you know, it, it, it's something that actually does let you create a little bit in terms of how are we going to solve this solution? Let's be a little creative. And that's, I would have to say, Craig, that sort of opened the door to be for me to be. Hey, it's. It's okay to be creative. I mean, we were creating, we were coding, we were creating applications. So, you know, how, how's this user going to think about getting from point A to point B? Well, that's a creative problem and requires a creative solution. And so that was sort of the inlet to then opening up this creativity that I think I had stuffed as a result of trying to be, quote unquote, secure. So you're working for two big companies there at the very, you know, at an early stage in your career, you know, what were the big differences in culture between the two organizations? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, I find it to be significantly different. I think Accenture, uh, and it was a time when I was entering into Accenture, it was, it was right out of college. Accenture pairs people together. And, you know, for example, we were, went to training and there were three of us and we had to develop a piece of code, a product, if you will. And we, you know, you were responsible for part A and two other people were responsible for part B and C respectively. And you couldn't leave until everybody was done with their piece and it, and it worked. So you, you would have guys, guys and gals out till like one or two in the morning trying to put this thing together. But one of the really great things that Accenture did is it, is it got, you to work as a team and and all for the team and not necessarily an individual. I really like that aspect. Great training and got you uh, to, to take yourself second, if you will, and put the team ahead of you. And one of the things, conversely, with Deloitte, again, it was a little more mature in my career. I think that Deloitte does a really good job of being entrepreneurial. I think that you know, whereas Accenture has a lot of training, a lot of credentials, you have to go and for six weeks you're in training, really hardcore training. Deloitte is kind of um, a little less training, but a little more, hey, you want to take that on a client? We haven't actually done this particular deliverable in this particular client. 
why don't you take a shot at it? Here's some people you can speak to. Here's some Gartner research that you can look up and, and go for it. We're, we're going to review it along the way, make sure it's quality. But that entrepreneurial spirit, I really valued at Deloitte. Yeah, brilliant. So fast forward a few years and you start to move up the pecking order into director roles at Symantec and Jupiter Networks. Before, before you rise in the corporate tree into executive leadership roles at Bowdtree and Verity Consulting, how did you cope with that shift in responsibility, title and expectations from being in a team sort of environment where someone's leading you to now leading those teams? Yeah, you know, initially I would say it was more of trying to fit into a box, meaning, hey, this this is what a leader does and this is what we're trying to do. And, and, and almost being robotic, if you will, Craig. So it was kind of just, uh, hey, this is what the executive management says we need to do and this is the timeline we need to meet and sort of uh, being a, a, a voice for executive management. That was starting out that way. And then as I developed over the years, it was kind of like, wait a second, these, these people aren't, don't want to uh, really get rallied around a robotic leader. You know, they, they need somebody who's going to look inside of them, see what they bring to the table, really value them for what they are and, and cheer them on and help them resolve issues as they come up. And so my leadership style drastically changed as I realized the value of humanity and getting back to creativity in, in leading people. Mm, so that humanity aspect, humanity aspect is, is so important and, and connecting to them. So did you find there was a shift in your passion and connectedness to the work that you do as you change that responsibility from doing the work to being the leader of the work? I do. And, and I think, uh, you know, it, and it's, it's sort of for me, it was like adjusting my passion. It was, uh, you know, I used to be very passionate about, you know, creating that code and, and developing a product. And like I said, I could, I could be creative. Well, then all of a sudden with people, it's like, whoa, you know, you take a step back and you're like, hey, I'm supposed to manage. And, 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 and management, I always visualize this like coffee cup next to this like uh, managerial report. And it's, it's very serious and you need to be stern. And, uh, I, I really think that, you know, that's where you, you it had to marinate with me anyway, that you could still be creative. It's just in a different way. You have to, for me, I had to shift my passion. What am I really passionate about? And then it wasn't that hard once I was able to realize that I'm passionate about people. And, and the, the technology was just a catalyst for connecting with people. Hey, I developed a great front end user interface. What do you think? Is it cool? Do you like it? And then then just transitioning to leadership. Hey, I carved out a great role for you. You're going to excel in it. I'm here to support you. So it's the same why, if you will. It's just a different catalyst for connecting it. So talking about catalysts for change, how did having a young family affect the way you approach going to work every day? <laughs> great question, Craig. Uh, I think uh, for, uh, you know, just to be brief about it, I think the fear of God, um, for lack of a better term, I actually, you know, th there is. Craig, do you have kids? No, I don't yet. Okay. So one of the things when I first had kids, it's just that like going down a roller coaster, like all of a sudden it's me. I mean, I, I was, I was the sole breadwinner. And I put so much pressure on myself to say, wow, I, I, I have to support these kids. And again, just like I did earlier in life, it's like, all right, well, I got to do whatever the, the, the man, quote unquote, tells me because I, I got to feed these kids. And then, and then later, the impact that the kids had on me is because as they got older and I wasn't very fulfilled in my role, I felt like I was just kind of doing, going through the motions. I wasn't feeling very fulfilled. And I realized, because I was you know, making good money and paying, you know, saving it so they can go to college. And I was like, you know, because that's, that's what I've done. I've, I've paid for their college so they can what be just like me. And it was like, Oh wow. And that, that hit me like a brick wall because I, I didn't want them to be like me. I wanted them to pursue their dreams. And so opening that up into what, you know, see now more of the comediology and, and stand-up comedy, that's what I decided to do. I decided to like, I'm, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing. Even if I fail, it doesn't matter because I want them to go out and do what they love. So that was a very profound impact that, that they had on my career. 
I think that's an it's an important lesson to learn there because we see a lot of people that stay in their job, stay in work, and they just go day to day to day, and they don't really have fun, right? Like the the enjoyment sucked out of them a little bit. So I like I like that approach. You love jokes, having fun, and we're curious about comedy. You know, obviously as a child. So when did you first decide to pursue some formal training and stand up comedy, and and how did that go down? <laughs> the the training went okay uh the execution was god awful <laughs> so um because you know why it was craig is because i'd I'm, i was so used to living in a left brain world in that and and the way that i perceived comedy was hey i'm learning a craft you memorize jokes and then you regurgitate them on stage and so and and one of the things i talk about in the book is that this it was awful it was just nobody wants to see that i mean they you, you, why not just watch netflix or just you know play a joke on or just listen to something on itunes or, or a joke but so it didn't go down very well because i wasn't being present and i wasn't really again what doing what i do which is connecting with people it wasn't until later that i figured out again my why is connecting with people and and it, the funny thing was craig when i got up on stage after realizing that I, the, the material didn't even need to be picture perfect. I, I had definitely had better material and bombed versus getting up there and just saying, hey, Craig, and, you know, if you're an audience member, I, I, I want to connect with you. I want to, uh, you know, I want to smile at you and, and you know, and, and just with my eyes looking at the audience, just connect with them and fill them and bring them joy. And, you know, and the funny thing was actually the first time I did this, I, I specifically intentionally did this. I had the, the first joke that I said, it did okay before, but this time it just hit big. The second joke that I had, I forgot the punchline, but I said, oh, wow, I, I forgot the punchline. <laughs> and people laughed because I was being real with them. I was being present and, and they could tell I wanted to have fun with them. And, and in turn, they had fun with me. Um, so yeah, so it, the training didn't go very well initially, but after I tapped into what I brought into the to the table, it ended up ended up working out. You know, we hear a lot about authenticity in the world these days and you know that you brought up that point where it's it's not the content that connects with people it's the emotion and the way you make them feel that that is really important isn't it yeah it, that, that's really well put one of the things that i talk about is is bringing the joy you know i mean when you walk into almost any environment it's almost like it, it, we're, we're sitting around these uh, conference rooms or these board meetings, and it, it's it's almost like you're you're playing a game of poker. You're like, well, what are they bringing? What's the tempo? It's like, you know, you make the decision to bring the joy, just like on stage into a into a meeting room, bringing the joy. And yeah, some people might not be in the mood. Some people might be serious. But it's amazing to me when you look back at when I look back at my career, it's those people that have brought the joy in spite of a difficult circumstance in spite of an awkward situation those are the moments those are the people we really at least i really admire it's not an easy thing to do but you know what they they said damn the torpedoes i'm gonna do what makes me happy what brings me joy bringing that joy it just it's it's amazing something you do with uh, breaking the ceo code is called ceo presence and the key component of that is intention and that's what you were bringing there is your intention to make people feel joy and to feel happy. And that's the key as a leader, you know, to go into a meeting or go into an interaction, it is what is your intent? And then how can I make, how can I get them to feel something? And that's what you, that's, I think what you're really connecting with there. Yeah. And, and humor Then the reason why I wrote comedology and, and you nailed it, it's, it's really about those underlying things like authenticity, like humility, that what you need to have for humor to make humor possible is the same thing in my experience that you need to have to make a, an effective meeting or to have fun at work. It's that authenticity. It's that humility. It's having presence. It's being in the room with people. It's calling uh, a spade a spade and giving people some levity and some uh, optional uh, and, 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 the levity so they can jump in and say, yeah, it is an elephant on, on the table. Let's kind of handle that. Uh, so yeah, a hundred percent agree with you. So at the beginning, when you're kind of just sort of starting to take those moves into getting up on stage and being that comedian and fouling lots and learning and, and learning to bring that intent, did it feel kind of weird that you had these kind of three 
different lives going on. You had you had the workspace, you had your beautiful family, and then you, you had this comedian in a dark, lonely, drunken bar. <laughs> and thanks for that optimistic appraisal, Greg. I appreciate it. And when you say it, it doesn't, did it feel weird? Or you're talking about five minutes ago, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, st- it still feels weird. It, it, it really is. Um, and it, But, you know, that said, when I look, look back when I first started, this is about 10 years ago, I guess I started doing stand-up comedy. Well, actually, I started 20 years ago, but I didn't have the audacity to get on stage. It wasn't until 10 years ago that I actually said I'm going to get on stage. But I actually used a stage name, and I actually had, <laughs> I actually had uh, these uh, teeth. They're called Billy Bob Teeth. You can get them at BillyBobTeeth.com. People couldn't even recognize me on stage because I was so concerned, so worried about this is uh, – uh, so let me back up a little bit. In comedy, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, you have to have a point of view. You have to come – you can't just go on stage and say, yeah, what, what Jed before me said, that's what I think. You have to have an opinion. You have to say, I don't like uh, light bulbs. I don't like cats. Whatever it is, that's the basis for comedy. It is what I felt the antithesis of what it was in corporate America. In corporate America, it's not about what you think, for at least for me. It was what we think. It's what it's what the, the man or woman in the ivory tower thinks, and you're just conveying that. So it was so transformational for me and, and a little bit weird to all of a sudden, hey, this is what I – this is what I actually think about the conference calls I've been on, you know, and then it's like they can't think that that's me because I need to go with the with a corporate line. And then later and then, you know, as of late, I'm I've written the book. I'm out there. I'm out there as a comedian, you know, but um, but to start to synthesize these and to realize that they actually are symbiotic and that and one can help the other. But yes, it's a great question, Craig, and a great insight. It felt really weird, as I imagine a lot of people who have done a left brain and tapped into more of a creative uh, career. But then after a while, you synthesize them and you realize it's it's a differentiation. It's a competitive advantage. When I talk with people now, uh, because I have you know clients, I still do a lot of the same consulting work that I've always done. I tell them I do stand-up comedy, and they're like, oh, that's interesting. Well, how do you, you know, in addition to how do you look at this problem differently because of com- comedy, um, hey, can you help with our offsite, or you know, can you can you run a workshop for us to help us get in touch with some some of that levity? And it's, it's no different to being a keynote speaker or a public speaker. You know, you've got to have um, your key point of view and and be able to express that. Yeah, and I imagine Craig for you. I mean, it, on the podcast, right? It just wow, I'm getting out here, and uh, it's a, it's a little bit weird. Um, and the thing that I will say is really helps me and and I'm curious if if this helps you as well. What helps me get through that weirdness, quote unquote, is that I realize that it's not about me. I realize that I have a message or uh, it within in the case of the book or in the case of comedy, I have joy that I want to bring or in case of business, I really want to help uh, my clients transform, but it's not about me because if it were about me, it would be too weird. What, what gives me the right to be up on stage? What gives me the right to get a book out there with my name on it? It's not about me. It's about the people that I'm really think there's value. And I, I think that they can get help, but I'm curious if that's, that's similar to your journey and, uh, if that helps you in your podcasting. That's a hundred percent about everyone else and how we can help them. Yes. I'm learning lots from every single podcast interview that I do and people that I I connect with and the research that I do, but it's it's to develop and help other people be better people, be be more high performing uh, in their life, etc. So no, it's exactly the same. Yeah, and it's it's really weird when you see your face out there. For me, I'm like, oh my gosh, this feels so vain and so awkward. And then and you know, one I'm gonna, <laughs> but it it and then and then I have to I have to keep telling myself that that it's wait a second and then it's like okay it's okay they i can use my name as a catalyst to get them help you know so even though it sounds weird but you know what i mean yeah even you can let the alter ego go of the um of the teeth (laughs) (laughs) you obviously still have a deep passion and and you talk about this here around your consulting and or you can just be honest and say you do it just for the money uh as you have founded two businesses including your current entrepreneurial venture called venture west consulting how do you really connect your worlds of comedy and consulting and you started to elaborate a little bit on this but i'd like you to go a little bit deeper 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's every you know in, in every meeting that I show up to, I really try to do this. I try to set the tone. Uh, so we're I'll give you an example. Right now, uh, one of my clients is doing a reorganization. Reorganizations are stressful. They are. Uh, filled with political mayhem, posturing, et cetera. So the tensions are so high. Uh, Like going on a comedy stage, being humble, and even being self-deprecating, because I don't care if I'm the catalyst for a laugh. That is actually a good thing. In fact, to get people laughing and like, oh, you know, and laughing at me because they're lightening up, I'm fine with that. It gets people, and it gets people to talk about the issues that are on the table. Um, so that that's that's one. It's just every I have the intention of doing that to make things lighter because when things are stiff and 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 icy, you, you you're just going through the motions. You're just going through an agenda and you're nodding your head because it's too awkward to say anything. Um, so in general, that's how I show up. Now, uh, the comedy aspect can come across in everything. It can come across in an email. Um, it can come across in so let's just say there's a, somebody who's really, uh, I don't know, difficult to work with and you really need to connect with them. Well, I'll, I use comedy. I use uh, like, Hey, I'll, I'll ask them like, Hey, are, are you still eating? Uh, well, in that case you want to get lunch, you know, just something that, uh, comedy is all about surprising. It's the same thing, same, uh, theory as horror, right? You look in the mirror, nobody's there. You look in the mirror. Oh, there's the monster. Same thing with comedy. You, you use the unexpected. So that could be in a conversation, but something just to get people's attention and feel that levity. So it can be in a meeting, it can be trying to get them in a one-on-one conversation. And actually, it can even be opening up your presentation. Maybe there's, instead of starting off with an agenda, what if you were to start off with a uh, an opener that's a comic slide? Or what if you were to tell a self, uh, something what happened to you on the way to work that is, that it's funny, it's, it's you know, humbling, It's uh, it opens up that uh, environment. So in addition to you know, day to day working through, you know, the difficult aspects of transformation or org change. Uh, I, I, today I'm like, Hey, we're doing an all hands. Can you, can you do five minutes of comedy? So it's really weird. Craig, getting back to your previous question of being a left brain consultant that is all of a sudden jumps into being a comedian. But again, the more mature it gets, the more I, I really find that bridge that connects the two. Now I'm going to speak for, a number of our listeners out there who are going to be sitting there going, how the hell do I make a joke in the workplace without getting a letter put in my file? <laughs> yeah. And, um, speaking of a guy who just got a file today that I can no, um, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think it goes back to what you were talking about before. So we've seen comedians, uh, just in, I don't know how big, for example, well, Andrew Dice Clay was, right? Andrew Dice Clay, do you, do you know who Andrew Dice Clay was, Craig? No, 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 enlighten me. Okay, so I can't necessarily use his humor, but I'm sure you've seen the same thing uh, on the uh, on Australian stage or otherwise, but there are comedians who point their finger and like, oh, you're this guy, you know, this gal's so dumb or this guy's such an idiot or whatever. And it's funny and it's usually very fleeting. It's usually the, the comedians that we remember, um, Robin Williams, for example, um, you familiar with Robin Williams? No, definitely. Okay. Okay. And I don't mean to be uh, flip. I just said, uh, you know, like he did get across the show anyway. Um, but yeah, that, that's, those are the comedians that we, that ha- are long lasting. And we remember, because what do we remember about Robin Williams? He was funny, but he was also very, he was humble. He was sincere. He was authentic. He wasn't doing it. And I think Craig goes back to your point about intention. Um, if you are really trying to have an intention of connecting with people and really having the intention of, Hey, there's something funny. I'm just going to call it the way that it is, but doing it. So in a way that doesn't inflict pain, it's not intended to do so most of the time. And, and obviously it's a line that you need to walk and people get in trouble every day. But my experience is, uh, most of the time it's, I, I can walk a safe line. People understand where I'm coming from and people connect, can connect with that. My kind of humor in the workplace is, I'll give you an example. Uh, I was setting up for a meeting and, <laughs> and the, it was just not, it was just not connecting. Like I was trying to connect my laptop to the, you know, to the power. It just wasn't working. There were C-level executives around, around the room. I had to get under the table and it was just, it's really awkward pause. Everybody, you know, dressed up, suits, ties. It was really formal meeting. I get down, I like 
finally plug in my laptop. I get up. Everybody's looking at me. And all I can say is, well, uh, I'm really glad that, you know, all of you could witness me at the pinnacle moment of my career. And just just to make me the like, hey, and then everybody started laughing and we were able to lighten up and it was okay. And it's just um, being real in the moment. So uh, and being authentic, it doesn't I wouldn't even necessarily advocate specifically try to be funny because I think that's where we fall down. However, I would, you know, say specifically be present, be authentic call it the way that it is and humor because those are the raw elements of humor it ends up coming out as a as an effect of that um but again getting back to intention if you have the intention of the underlying elements it's what's going to come out of the oven <laughs> all right well, let's see if we can uh, open up the hood here and see what's uh, underneath and uncover something interesting so what are the principles of comediology uh, so the so the principles are co- of comediology are there's so the way that I've I've structured the book is you know there's there's different chapters on for example presence on um, on creating versus competing on and and all the things I discovered from the stage um, but but it really comes down to if I had to say one thing it really is finding your voice because if you found your voice that your that voice is authentic that voice is present. Um, you know, if it's just you and you're not, and you're left unhindered, you, you probably have some fun. And if you're doing it because it's your voice and it's your sort of guiding you, you'll probably pretty be pretty good at it as well. Uh, so th- th- those are, I would say, the core. The, the core essence is finding your voice. Comedy, it's essential, and even it's essential in business, although we don't really see it because we're too busy being, you know. Uh, stormtroopers building the Death Star as opposed to like, what's inside of me? What's what, what wants to come out? I think that's important. Everyone does have a voice. And I think even more important than that, everyone does have a story that should be told. Um, and, and it needs telling as well. So, yeah, I have two voices. Just no. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> that's what your wife tells you anyway. Yeah. Uh, do you think it needs to be a top down or a bottoms up? approach when it comes to integrating a comedy approach in business? You know, here's what I would suggest. I think it's a, so let let me, I I would answer this, Craig, in the way that, you know, those who are in business are used to something called a financial 401k, right? So every week they, you know, we save money, right? So it starts off when we're 26 years old and we save $50, And we're like, well, that's useless. But then after, you know, many weeks, many months, many years, that accumulates and it becomes, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars to the point where that's what's going to support our lives once we retire. Well, the interesting thing is uh, how to get started to your question. I would advocate the same uh, and I call it a creative 401k. We're so busy day to day going from meeting to meeting and we're so stretched and we're so uh, exhausted at the end of the day that we don't get to invest in ourselves. We don't get to figure out, we know that we're creative, but it's like, hey, be creative and you can't, there's no action that's not really tangible. So what I would suggest is it starts uh, inside, inside of yourself. And you know, me, it's on a daily basis as much as I can, but on at least on a weekly basis, take a half hour and start to build that creative 401k. The first day, it's going to be, ugh, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Second day, probably the same thing. After about a week or two, it's like, wait a second. This is actually coming together. Three months, you're going to be like, I'm really excited to show somebody this. And then, to your question, it will just sort of start to come out in in, in corporate. Let's just say you're, I don't know, really good at creating uh, videos. Well, if you're going to invest that time in three months, when you show somebody, I think I can do this and I think I can you know, film a corporate event, or I think I can, uh, I want to show this creative presentation. You've spent so much time on it. It's going to wow people. And that's what I would say is just starting with, from within and it will become natural to you, whether it's, it will happen organically and people will be wowed by it. If you've invested in that creative 401k. So you're working with some pretty cool fortune 500 companies and you know, well done on getting yourself into and working in, the, in that high level of business. 
Is there any like really stand or like a standout example of how comediology has transformed one of those companies? Yeah, I think uh, more than anything, it's um, so I've 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 been with companies where we've had offsite events, and these these offsite events, it's uh, you know you have you you have people who necessarily haven't necessarily worked together before or and then you start and and these people are expected to come together and they're expected to build a product right or come and the thing is about a product if you're if you're building a product you have to put some crazy ideas out there if you're brainstorming you got to put crazy ideas out there and and it's you feel pretty vulnerable and so what we've done with comediology is we've gotten people in a room and you know just started out uh you know, in, you know, basic introductions, but then doing improv exercises, getting your uh, body into it, starting to to move around, just fun improv exercises. Um, we've also one of the things that we do in comedy is ranting. What ranting is is you just go. You're sitting there by yourself, so we we have people take a piece of paper or they're from their laptop, and for a half hour they're literally ranting. They're just saying everything that's coming off their, you know, the, the top of their brain. Doesn't matter. Um, you know, a pronunciation doesn't matter, um, you know, how they're putting periods or capitals, just forget all that, just rant from head to paper, just rant for a half hour. What this does is it starts to eliminate that filter. Then what we do is we get people in a, a working session, a actual brainstorming session. By this time, they're having fun because, we, you know, we've done improv, we've made people laugh, they've removed that filter and so they're just have all these ideas come up and they're not hindered by, well, that's dumb. Don't bring it up. And, you know, and they're and you would be amazed at the and then you have, you know, me on the side just calling out, you know, sometimes real stuff, sometimes just silly stuff to get people laughing and get back in there. Um, and what people produce when they're actually engaged um, with fun, with levity and with just idea generation. It is amazing. We've actually had. Um, people come up with just uh, ideas that are, you know, crazy. It could be for uh, a presentation. It could be for um, an all hands meeting. It could be for an actual product. Um, so it's just it, it's it and just the stuff that people laugh at. And getting to back to your point, your question, Craig, about that's where when you're in that trusted environment, that's where you can have some that comedy take place and just gems of comedy take place. And people are having a ball and they're not, I, I don't know, they're just not that intention of hurting or I'm going to report you, put it in your file. It's just, it's just a really good time. So you have to create that psychological safe space before you can allow the vulnerability to occur and the, and obviously vulnerability and courage um, uh, interconnected. You can't have one without the other to allow people to really open up. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it, it's, it's so funny and comedy specifically you know, it's it's proven. It, it's proven that it connects people. Um, they had this uh, study where they, you know, so this person was watching a video and they would interlace these videos. Some were funny, some were serious. And then they patched in another video of somebody watching the video with them. Now they would interlace different people. Some of the people would laugh when this person laughed, some of the people wouldn't. And at the end of the experiment, people were like, oh my gosh, the person I laughed with, I want to get to know them. We have the same beliefs. We, you know, I want to be affiliated with them. The crazy thing was it wasn't even live people. They were just videos <laughs> sort of put in at specific times, but it doesn't matter. That's the power that comedy has. It comedy connects us. It gets us out of that um, scrutinous part of our brain and connect connects us with our limbic system, our emotional center. That's it's 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 magical if you really leverage those core underlying elements. So I'm curious here, who makes you laugh the most? <laughs> I think I think my uh, honestly, uh, my kids, my kid. So um I, I can give a couple of examples. My, in fact, just it just happened yesterday. My son, who's going to kill me once he hears this, <laughs> but, but he's 10 years old and he comes to me and he goes, Dad, I think I'm going through puberty. And I was like, oh, really? Why, why do you think that? And he goes, well, I'm having a lot of the same urges uh, you have. You know, and he goes, uh, I was like, where's this going? You know, and he goes, uh, like, I, I'm re I really like peanut butter and chocolate now. 
you know, do you like caramel? <laughs> like, I'm like, yep. Wow, you're you're going through puberty, all right. That's. Well, <laughs> like, or like my daughter, she comes up to me and she goes, she she was six years old. She goes, Daddy, I love cats, and sometimes, Daddy, I wish you were a cat. And I was like, Well, why do you wish Daddy was a cat? And she goes, Because then I'd have a cat. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I don't really, I just, I literally just write down what they say and I'm like, that's my act. It's like, it, it's, uh, children are brilliant. And, and why they're brilliant is because they speak the truth. That's all comedy is, is put another way. I really, it, it's just truth. And, uh, and that's why in business you, you appreciate people that tell the truth and comedy if, you know, that's why it's funny is because it's true. And so children are brilliant at that. So who do you respect and admire in the in the comedy world that you've learned a lot from, you love their authentic approach and just they inspire you as a comedian and a person? Yeah, I, I really, uh, I, I, again, I'd have to go back to Robin Williams. I just, um, I, you know, just even... He, he is, is such an authentic individual. He, uh, and, and, you know, even when he passed away and if you, if you look at the, the people, what people said about him, he was just willing to give anything to anybody in terms of helping them, in terms of being there for people. Um, he would show up. And so I, I live, uh, within, I don't know, or when, when he lived here, I, I lived in a pretty close proximity to him. He would just show up at these clubs at these stand-up comedy clubs, and he would, you know, they were amateur nights some nights, some night they were, you know, he would get up on stage. He would just sit there and just laugh at new newbies who were, yeah, maybe they were, you know, so, so funny. But that's how gracious he was. He would just sit there and laugh and have a good time. Um, he he was a very, <laughs> and just a, a, a taste of his honesty. He, somebody uh, accused Robin, he goes, hey, you stole my joke. <laughs> And then it, the next, you know, later they opened, they they got the mail, and Robin had sent him two hundred dollars. I don't know if that was, you know, but but if you think about that, if you peel back the layers of the onion, I don't know if Robin did that intentionally or otherwise. But even if he did it in, intentionally, you know, how many people in our world would say, "No, I didn't," I because the R came after. You know, it's like Robin was just like, you know what. I did, or I didn't know that I did, and I'm, I'm. That's again getting back to the authenticity. That's why I think he was so funny. He was just call it like it is, and uh, he was a, appropriate for kids. He was appropriate for the stage. You could put him into a corporate situation um, because you know, well, <laughs> for a, twenty minutes at a time. But just, just a totally authentic dude. Yeah. So, how do you free your mind to allow your creative? juices to flow and so you can actually sleep at night uh, help me understand that craig so you're you're like free your mind to get creative ideas or um free your idea just so you can get uh just so you can get like not not be basked in failure like we are in corporate america uh no so freeing your mind so that it's not you know the cogs turning at 100 miles an hour so you can actually relax it and then allow creativeness to occur or or for people, you know, like they go to bed and then their minds are working so hard and, and sleep. So how do you, how do you relax your mind? Ah, okay. Um, you know, I actually do a lot of meditation, and one of the things that sounds I I know I'm going to say this, and people are like boring, but if you really uh, do it as an exercise, I found that it's so helpful. So I'll literally I'll go through this exercise with you. Is that I sit there and I say. I'm breathing in and I tell myself, okay, I know my body's breathing in. If it's a long breath, let it be a long breath. If it's a short breath, let it be a short breath. Don't judge it. It is what it is. I'm breathing out. I mentally tell myself I'm breathing out. And your job, my job in that moment is to just focus on my breath. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about yesterday. I'm not thinking, am I comfortable? Do I want a glass of water? My job is to focus on my breath. And then that sort of lets my mind go and I can fully be in my body. Um, that's that, that does it for me. I, I just, I let everything go and I'm just completely in the moment. Yeah. I like that. So do you have any exercise routines or nutritional rituals that you abide by? 
Apart uh, from apart from caramel and, and peanut butter and yeah. well, I am going through puberty and I, <laughs> I just <laughs> um, yeah, I, I tend to uh, exercise on a on a daily basis. That's that's really important to me. I think I think there's something to that as well. In fact, I, I was just my mother in law's visiting and we went on a on a walk and it's so funny, you know, I think there's analogy to when you're sitting at a desk. I mean, you're, you're physically speaking, you're, you're stuck at a desk. That's what you're doing. And so when you get up and walk, you're moving and, and you're flowing and things can change. And I think when we do that, the same thing that happens physically to us also happens mentally. Uh, I, I find that. I find that my thoughts are much freer and, um, you know, I, I'm not embarrassed about you know, the, the growing hair underneath my arms and, you know, so I can, I can focus and be free and not, and not ashamed. I, I'm curious, Craig, is that, was that what you find? I know that you're heavy into, um, you, you just talked about an event, a racing event. Um, do you find that same thing that you're freed up when you're, uh, when you're out walking, your mind frees up? Yeah. Motion evokes, uh, sorry, motion evokes emotion. So that's it. The, the chemical, things that are occurring at that time allows emotion to come out and to free. Uh, for me, you know, I've competed a long time ago and, and retired over 10 years ago now. But for me, exercise has always been what I would term active meditation. It is that opportunity for, for as your body is moving to relax and unwind and, and free that mind up to, to actually be creative and think um, beautiful thoughts or be present. And one of the things that I've really uh, learned over the last couple of years is that I always have, um, I take a lot of phone calls on my phone, on my mobile phone, rather than on a, on a landline or, or through a computer. And I like to just put the headphones in and I go walking. So one, I don't have distractions. Two, it allows me to be really present with the people I'm speaking with. Um, but also just allows, I always find, I think better questions and, um, my answers are a lot more clearer because I am moving. And I think that's so important. Yeah, yeah, I, I I I completely agree. And I think once you're once you're free, once you can, whatever you can do to get free, you know, this applies to being a comedian or or being in business. We get so locked down, don't we? To like, hey, I I messed up that meeting, or um, I did a bad job on stage, or whatever. And and being frozen in like that, you kind of get stuck. Um, for me, moving around and uh, meditating, something with my body, either I'm meditating or I'm moving around, going through puberty, you know, something. And and what I find is that it, then I can get over myself. Then I can be like, I'm not that big of a deal, okay? Then I can think about, no, no, once I'm there, then I can think like, okay, well, why why was it on stage that that punchline didn't work? How can I improve that? But it's, it's, it's a catalyst to help me... Um, Get out of my identity. Uh, one of the things that I really love, um, do, are you familiar with Deepak Chopra? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that he did that was I just thought was brilliant. So he was at this convention and he had the group do a full meditation. So he talked about, he said, you know, let, let's everybody say I am and then you say your name and then you say what your profession is. And so they said, I am so-and-so, this is what I do. And then he said, okay, so now just say I am and then just say, your name. And this is several iterations. I am my name. I am my name. And he said, great. Now just say, I am. I am. And you, you're like, wow, that, that is what happens when I'm physical, when I let go of the past, when I'm being present and, or meditating. And just to get to that space, that is the baseline for creativity. It's the baseline for having fun. It's the baseline for ultimately being effective but i just I, I just wanted to add that i thought that was a brilliant thing that he did that, that that's really helped me yeah i like it so we all know smart people have great answers but the most successful people ask great questions when was the last time you did something for the first time wow that is, you are a smart person Greg. i'm <laughs> um the last time I did something for the first time, uh, wow, that is, uh, I think you were right. You, you were going to stump me on a question. Um, you know, I think it was probably, well, 
I have an, a, a, a really close um, uh, bar that's around where I live. Now this bar, so usually I, when I perform, it's in a, it's in a, you know, it's in a stand-up forum, right? It's where a lot of people come. It's where, um, you know, there's marketing done and there's like, and you know, there's set lists and it's, it's somewhat, uh, I'll say as professional as you get in the stand-up world. Um, this bar is like, you know, uh, two guys and a, and a dog that's passed out in front of <laughs> on the carpet. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, and, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm just going to go and I'm, I'm just not going to care. I'm just going to do it. And it's, uh, I mean, literally you're performing sometimes to two people who are like, uh, you know, they could be watching TV, but it was, uh, I, I just wanted to do it just to like, to be, get out of my head and just be, be free. So I think that, that was probably, um, a couple months ago. Yeah. yeah. I like it. What is the one question that you would love to solve? Uh, uh, one question I would love to solve. Um, I, I think I would love to find out, you know, I have, I have certainly beliefs as to why we're here. I would love to really understand, um, understand why we're here. I would love that. Yeah, I would love, and I don't know if that's something that you can solve so much as you can understand. Um, but yeah, I, I would just, I would love to solve it. I think if if we had that intention, we would be like, oh yeah, I, <laughs> I'm here to, uh, I'm here to be awkward. Okay, well then, okay, I'm doing it. No problem. Check the box. <laughs> uh i just think that would have everybody just take this collective sigh of okay cool you know um yeah i'd love that (laughs) well and and craig curious what what, uh what would be your response to that how can we get people more happy healthier and more active in the world Mm. yeah and and that's and that's my big purpose behind everything i do and and it can be used in so many different ways. So that's, yeah, it's, it's been with me since I was, a, really since I was a teenager, maybe even earlier, I'm not sure. Um, and it's, you know, I've used it in different ways to uh, express things that I enjoy doing in the way I, help, I like um, helping people um, to now where I've, you know, have a greater purpose and, and obviously a lasting legacy that I'm building at the moment, which is uh, really fun. So Very cool. Yeah. That, Last big question is, so for you, what, how would, what do you think is living an extraordinary life? I, I, I think that we are all different, even though we call ourselves the same thing. And I'll, I'll use the example of comedians and whether you take whoever is your favorite comedian and you can think of a few, but there's one that probably one or two that stand out. And we call it all comedy, but it's really different how people use their voice, how people use act outs or impressions or biting humor. It's all different. And I think the similar thing is in life. I think uh, what is extraordinary is living to that. I'll call it a, a, a dharma is that living to that differentiation that you have, that um, living to that internal voice and respecting that internal voice. I think whatever comes out of that is going to lead you to extraordinary heights. Now, they might not be um, having your own you know, talk show and, and gazillions of dollars, but it'll be something that is you know, so special and grand and you couldn't put a price on it. I think that is an extraordinary life and it can't be judged on from an other, other people's lens lenses. It's gotta be, uh, it's just, it, that it just living from yourself and growing that I think is extraordinary. Chris, you, you've shared some wonderful insights and an amazing journey in your life. How can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you if they wish to? Thanks, Craig. Yeah, the the book, Comediology. Uh, so I have a website, Comediology.com. Uh, my contact information is on there. They can listen to the book. It's on Audible. They can uh, order the book on Amazon. Um, feel free to call me. I'm, I'm very uh, um, 
responsive and love to hear from people. And, uh, yeah. So, um, any, any way that, that is easy for them. Excellent. So we'll put those links up on the show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I've thoroughly enjoyed, um, that you taking ownership, that you're still going through puberty. Uh, your, <laughs> your enjoyable life as a child where, you know, you, you might've been a bit dysfunctional and you might've been moving around a lot, but you tried to find the lighter things in life and to really appreciate the small things as you were going through that stage to hear your insights in the, going into the business world and to differentiate between Accenture and also Deloitte and seeing how they both created amazing um, parts of your life, but came from different aspects to hearing you talk about going from being in a team and working in that team environment, say in Accenture to then leading teams and how you approach that to look at the brighter side of life and use comedy to bring out the joy in people and to make things um, enjoyable. You know, life is short. We've got to have a lot of fun in what we do. And it's so important that we need to look at, take a, a brighter look at, you know, the work that we do, the serious stuff and actually make it fun. You know, that's what people connect with to understanding how comediology works and why it's helping so many people and, and where it's going to go in the future. So thank you very much for sharing some amazing insights, making me laugh a lot today. And it's a great start to a weekend for me. I know it's still Friday for you back there, but weekend for me. And I look forward to seeing how the book um, continues to shape and to change people's worlds in the right direction so people can have an abundance of joy in their life. So thank you very much. Craig, thank you. And I, and I have to say, you have, uh, your, your voice has like this Zen quality. You know, like, I think I'm going to go like chill out and take a bath. Now, but it's really relaxing. It's really like uh, something about it is, uh, I don't know. It just, it's like, hey, everything's going to be okay. So I it was a, such a joy talking with you. I, I, I really mean that. There is something in your voice that's like you make trees grow or something. But I, I appreciate <laughs> it. And it's been such a joy talking with you. Thank you. On this week's Active CEO Performance Tip, we're talking about the Chief Energy Officer. Do you know that we are all CEOs, the Chief Energy Officer of our lives? And think how that energy affects other people and the way you behave. You all have control over your own energy. It is important that you manage your own energy first before influencing the energy of a room, a team, your family, and any other person you interact with. As an influencer, you can either create an environment of positive or negative energy. If you want to achieve success in a meeting, conversation, pitch, gathering, or an event, then it is important that you create the energy state you desire first for both internal and external influence. Remember, where focus goes, energy flows. So make sure your intention is set for your desired outcome with the right energy state. Thank you for listening to a hilarious and insightful conversation with Chris Tabish on episode 86, Leadership Effectiveness with Comediology on the Active CEO Podcast. Are you allowing your mind and body a chance to recover? High performers balance periods of work and stress with rest and recovery, just like an elite athlete. We have developed CEO periodization, which allows you to schedule rest and recovery from a daily to a career basis. We start with a three to one work to rest ratio and adapt the level of rest according to the stress load applied. Let's use monthly periodization as an example. Divide one month into four one-week blocks. The first three weeks can be more intense with a high workload. And then the fourth week you schedule no meetings, no travel, work less hours, and spend time with those most important to you. Now there are gonna be periods where you need to extend the more intense and high workload weeks to maybe four, five, or six. Now when you do that, you need to extend the weeks where you reduce the number of meetings, travel, 
work less hours, etc. So maybe you might need to go five to two rather than the three weeks with one week easy. If you want to learn how CEO periodization can have a positive impact on your performance in all aspects of your life, then Active CEO Coaching is for you. To find out more, then please contact me at craig at nrg, the number two, perform.com or click on the contact page of the www.nrg2perform.com website. And I'll be able to provide you the tools that you need to be a high performing leader. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.